I don't think that there's any way you can really minister in any context, whether it be a city or a small town, but especially a small town, without getting intimately involved in all the messy stuff of the town. Because it is messy and it is tough. And you feel like you're getting used at times, but man, when you get that person that understands and comes to know Christ, that continues to drive me. Well, welcome to the Small Town Summit Podcast, a ministry of small town summits that exists to encourage and equip pastors and lay leaders who are faithfully serving Jesus in small places. I'm your host, Ben Whittinghill. One of the goals of this podcast is to help build a theological vision for gospel ministry in small places. And we want to do that through both theology and biography, through sharing stories of guys like Andrew Bermudez, who you just heard in this clip and is the guest on our show today. He's a pastor in Dexter, Maine, and I was so blessed by this conversation uh, to hear Andrew's story, uh, the way that God called a kid from New Jersey to pastor a church in the middle of small town Maine, and the way that God is using Andrew to reach his town for the sake of the gospel. So I know you'll be encouraged and blessed. Grab a coffee, a notebook, turn up the volume if you're in your car, and be blessed by my conversation with Andrew Bermudez. Well, Andrew, thanks for joining us on the podcast, brother. How are you? Doing well, doing well, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been, been a nice, good winter up here in Maine. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. For people that aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, your family. Yeah, so um, obviously my name is Andrew Bermudez, but I live up in Dexter, Maine. It's considered the heart of Maine because if you took your finger and put it on the map right in the center, it more than likely would land very close to Dexter, to Dexter, Maine. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, we're about two hours north of Portland and about an uh, hour um, north uh, west of Bangor, if that gives anybody an idea where we are. <laughs> kind of middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah, right, I live up here with my family, my, my wife of 19 years and, um, and three kids. We have a 12-year-old, uh, a nine-year-old, and a seven-year-old. I, I call my youngest the anchor, our anchor to Maine, because she is our official Mainer. She was born here. The rest of us, while they might love us, they don't accept us as Mainers. <laughs> I guess we weren't born here, but that's okay. We have our anchor child. <laughs> so that, so okay, so that's fascinating because sh- is she accepted as a Mainer even though she's not? Because I'm in Vermont, and you have to be like seventh generation Vermonter to to even for them to acknowledge that you're a local so that's different in maine yeah i th- i think so they, they ask you like where you're born and you know her being born here they're like yeah no she's a manor and even people in church joke around yeah she's she's a manor and she has some of the she doesn't understand the jerseyisms or anything so <laughs> awesome well man i want to i want to jump to that so you're from new jersey yeah yeah born born and raised in new jersey i live there 34 years, um, 35 to 30, 34 years. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's all I've known. And coming up here is a completely different culture, yeah. <laughs> per se. 
Well, so I want to get into that story of how a guy from Jersey ends up in Dexter, Maine, because that's probably not normal for most guys from Jersey. Uh, but before that, man, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, how you came to Christ. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you come to Christ later in life? What's your story of your testimony coming to Jesus? Yeah, that's um, it's a really interesting story. I'm actually like, we're talking about generational people in Vermont and kind of, not that there's generational Christians, but as far as family, both my grandparents were pastors. Man, and, that's you know, awesome. Yeah, so it's really interesting, um, that aspect of it. I never really thought of it growing up because that's just all I knew. But both my, my dad's dad was a pastor in Puerto Rico and my mom's dad's a pastor in New York, both Puerto Rican, both spoke nothing but Spanish. So I actually grew up uh, in a Christian home, private school, and I ended up really just not enjoying church at all. I just saw it was it was more work than enjoyment. And it was uh, a lot of, I saw, I saw a lot of showiness. It just, nothing really seemed authentic. Not my parents, my parents really seemed real. So I, I was attracted to Christianity, but not, not the church uh, per se. And so, and I, and I think being attracted to Christianity is that because of my, my parents' authenticity and who they were. But not until I was about um, a senior in high school was I really, I was challenged with choices in my life and kind of came to that, you know, proverbial fork in the road. And, and you know, the world was really pulling me. It was really attractive, pulling me to it. And all I had known was the Christian walk and what that was. I knew all the do's and don'ts, but then I saw my friends enjoying what the world had to offer. And, and I started going down that path and one decision after another was, you know, felt good for the moment, but just had consequences. And finally, one came out that was not good uh, at all. And my parents, while they disciplined me, were very gracious and had mercy on me. And that really exposed me the first time to what to what Christ actually did. You know, I heard about it my whole life, but when I experienced it firsthand for my parents, um, that really drew me in and that caused me to really uh, commit my life to Christ at that point. And my mom, while she taught me Bible lessons my whole life, you know, with the, uh, the little felt figures and all that on yeah. the boards <laughs> in our homes and Bible stories and memorized verses. At that point, when I committed to following, to finally submitting to Christ, she really began to disciple me. Um, and soon after that, it was really neat. Soon after that, I met who was going to be my wife. Um, and my mom actually discipled her as well. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it's been a really neat, uh, amazing uh, walk there. But, you know, I have to really attribute it to not growing up in the church as much as it is growing up in a, in a Christian home. And my mom and dad living it out, even to the point of me disappointing them, but what well, I would think disappointing, but still loving me through it and showing Christ's love through that. And that for me just really revealed what Christ did for us, the perfect parent, you wow. know, and that drew me in. Yeah. Well, man, that's so encouraging for, for me as a young dad who is pastoring to hear how you, it was tangible grace that your parents showed to you that 
really drew you to Christ and how they were able to love you well. And that's, um, it's a powerful tribute to godly parents, man. It's a blessing to hear. Absolutely. How is that? How is that shaped? Not to diverge too much away from your story, but how has that shaped you as a parent? Like, what are some things that you have taken with you? You're you're in ministry. You said you have these younger children, but you've learned some things from your parents that it seems like they would inform the way that you've or shaped the way that you parent your own kids. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a really good question. One of the things I think really that I try to practice and don't always get it right um, is admitting when I mess up with them mm-hmm. and going to them and asking them for forgiveness. And then also being gracious to them when they ask for forgiveness and mess up and moving on and moving past it. And just trying to build that atmosphere of honesty with each other. I, I worked in youth ministry for 10 years in New Jersey and a key element I saw with kids who rebelled um, and like just never came back was this constant level of disappointment. You can say you love your kid, but if you have this constant level of disappointment, always pointing out what's wrong and never really extending that grace and mercy to them, the, the kid never really comes fully around. Why I want what's best for my kids. I want them to be perfect. Come on, they're my kids. <laughs> you, know, you guys, you know better. You know, <laughs> I need us realize, no, I learned through going through mistakes as well. So I can't rob them of that opportunity. And I need to be gracious just as our heavenly father is gracious with us and walk with them through that and say, yeah, I know that wasn't the right decision, but you know what? I still love you and we're going to get through this together and we're going to grow from this. And and that's very difficult as a, from a human standpoint. So I have to stand step back sometimes uh, and just talk with them one-on-one and show them, show them love that way. So that's, that's my journey. That's how God's been growing me still too through my, through my kids. Well, man, that's so encouraging, man, because you have not just generational ministry in your family, but like a real generational legacy of grace and like the gospel applied in the context mm-hmm. of relationships. Cause I think you could say the same thing about disciples in the church, like where they struggle the most is believing that even in Christ, that God is mainly disappointed in them and that he's yeah. not mainly gracious and merciful, which opens them up to living obedient and godly lives. So that's a powerful yeah. testimony, man. I'm, I'm thankful for your parents and how, uh, you're continuing to live into that legacy. So you said you were in uh, ministry in Jersey as a youth pastor for 10 years. How did you go from appreciating your parents' witness, but not necessarily the church, to then entering into ministry yourself? And then how does a guy who's a youth pastor in Jersey end up in your own words, the middle of nowhere in Maine, (laughs) right into a, a small town that uh, probably wasn't on your radar before. So how did you get into ministry and how did you end up in Maine from New Jersey? Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a story, but it's exciting. So when I graduated high school, I was invited to go on a summer long missions trip to Scotland. And at that time I was ready to go to Rutgers university. I was going to go into accounting. And then I, my plan was to then become a lawyer after that and you know just keep staying with the Rutgers Law School and all that. I had all my tuition paid for through Rutgers and I thought this is a great path, but I got invited to go on this mission trip for a summer to, to Scotland. 
And it was because a parent from our church was sending their daughter, their daughter was young and said, hey, could Andrew just go and make sure she's okay? I think she was like 13 or 14. And they're like, we'll make sure Andrew gets paid, all, you know, gets all, gets the trip paid for. Like, yeah, trip to Scotland, great. And I just thought <laughs> this would be an awesome opportunity um, to do that. But little did I know God was using that to uh, get my heart ready to go pursue a ministry full-time instead. So I, I came back from that and I told my parents, you know, I, I really think I need to stop going to Rutgers and go to uh, Bible college and pursue full-time ministry. And they kind of looked at each other and said, are you sure? Because, you know, you don't have any, you don't have any cost at Rutgers and Bible college. You're not going to get these scholarships and these grants and all these other pieces that pay for your tuition. How can you do it? My, my dad was a truck driver Wonder Bear at that point. And so I said, nope, God's going to have me go to Bible college and I'm not going to pay anything either. It's going to not going to cost me. So I went, applied, got accepted and was about to go in. And they said, here's how much it costs. And I said, well, I'm not going to take any loans out. And they presented with me student loans that no, I'm not going to take any loans out. So I took another semester off, which gave me the opportunity to meet my current wife. But then the next semester, my dad being that he was a senior truck driver for Wonder Bread, got a contract with the state of Pennsylvania. It was a month-to-month -month contract. And it lowered his work hours because it was a contract with the state prisons in Pennsylvania. And it doubled his salary. Wow. So then my dad cut me a check for each semester to pay for the whole semester. Now, get this. This is crazy. Wonder Bread had that contract from the time I started up until the time I graduated and then lost that contract and never got it back. Wow. And so, so, yeah, so it was like, I had no idea how God was going to provide it. Here was God just did that. And it low, it, 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 my dad's work right before his retirement, double his salary, allowing him to save more to retirement plus pay. So it was just, yeah, it was God all through that. And so that for me, like said, okay, God, I really know I'm supposed where I'm supposed to be. And, um, then I, I soon got hired after graduation to work. I actually ran a before and after school program. Let me back up. So at college, so I majored my, like, you know, everybody gets a Bible degree, but I, my side major was mission. So I wanted to be an overseas missionary. And uh, that, that was my, what I thought what was God was leading me towards. And so I wanted to start working in ministry right away. And so I got a directorship of a far school program in New Jersey at the same church where I will become the youth pastor. And with that, I was the assistant youth pastor, a far school program director, and a summer camp director, all at the same church. And so being the, the far school program director and the summer camp director really tapped into my mission side because those are, those are two community-oriented ministries where you want kids from the community coming. And so that really got my juices flowing. Like, this is awesome. This is where... This is where the fun's at. This is where the, the work is and where really you can see ministry happening. And it got really, really exciting. And so soon the youth pastor who, uh, she, she taught me a lot of stuff and eventually she left and retired and she highly recommended that I take over the youth group because I had been doing it for 10 years, took over that. And that was a great fit for me at that time. The youth group grew to over a hundred kids and just, it was thriving. And then finally I, I, I hit a wall though. I couldn't like, I felt like my ministry couldn't expand anymore. And God was really working on my heart. And so 
I don't want to say anything bad about the church, but some, some bad things happened at the church towards my, my wife and I, and I was about to give up. And I actually started looking for jobs. Like I would have looked at for looking for UPS and FedEx. And I said, you know, I can still do ministry there, <clears throat> just not work for the church anymore. And I was about to just, just quit. And I put my resume out to other churches too, and wasn't hearing anything back. And I had a dream one night and I'll never forget it because I woke up crying and I woke up crying because God had told me, you're not going anywhere until I let you go. And it was a dream. It was me running away and God grabbed me by the legs and dragging me back. <laughs> and I was crawling and I woke up crying because I told my wife, I said, Amanda, God's not letting me go. And I was crying because I did. I wanted to go so bad. I was so hurt, so broken. I wanted to run away and God was not letting me go. And so that really anchored me and said, no, God's going to use me. Is this about me or is this about God using me? What's it really about? Am I really his vessel? And as a vessel of God, do I have a right to say when I'm done being used? Right. Do I, I, don't, I don't make that call. And God revealed that to me in this dream that I didn't like <laughs> because of the results. So God had me do one big final outreach there in, in New Jersey. And then the floodgates opened to go, to go someplace else. And I started getting all kinds of calls and taps on my resume from other churches. And my wife and I came to Maine, never been to Maine before, never been to New England outside of Connecticut, visiting friends. And so we said, let's go up there. And I pray to God, God, I want my wife and myself to agree that this is where we need to be. So we get up here and um, I said, this is it. And my wife said, yeah, this is where we need to be. And it's a small little church, but there you can feel the love, but you can see the need as well. And the original position was, you're going to be the youth pastor slash assistant pastor. I didn't want to be the lead pastor. That was the last thing on my radar. So when I we get up here, stand down for the interview, they said, well, yeah, you know, you're going to have some big shoes to fill covering when, when you take over. I said, what? <laughs> that wasn't part of the deal. You got Yeah, you got the bait and switch interview. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, what is going on here? Um, and then I told my wife, well, you know, I'll preach. I'll, I'll do what I came up here to do. And I guess we feel like it's places, but I don't think God's calling me to be the pastor somewhere. I don't feel worthy of that calling. And, but we ended up, obviously ended up taking that position. And three years after being here, we transitioned where uh, Jay Brennan became the, he's, he's not the teaching pastor, and but I became the lead pastor. And took over in, the, in that aspect and so it's been really a, a, an amazing transition and then you're you're asking about how, how does someone from jersey come up here that's only through god and what's amazing about that is every pastor i've met up here is either from here originally or their wife is from here we're the only pastor and wife that's not from maine like one of us isn't from maine uh or been here a long time except the previous pastor jay brandon and his wife they're also not originally from here. So it's like, I don't know, God's calling pastors from First Baptist Church where their husbands and wives are not from <laughs> from Maine, but it is it is a really good fit. And, and in it, I think God really fulfilled that call in my life of missions because it's not, it wasn't overseas. It was right here stateside, but it was just as much of a mission 
outreach or leaving your cultural comfort and going to a new place where no one knows you, uh, nobody, uh, you're, you're, you're not one, you're not a local, you're, you're not somebody that's necessarily accepted in, in there until you really prove yourself. And, and that, that what got prepared for me in college, I'm using all of that now and in New Jersey too, using all that stuff. I'm using it here in Maine. And it's just, it's awesome to see how God prepared me. Yeah. It's so encouraging, man. I mean, we have, um, multiple pastors uh here that have that exact same story where we all thought we were going to be international missionaries and then the lord rerouted us to our place in you know small town new england and it had um so i'm from atlanta you're from jersey i don't know how big the place is that you were from in jersey but there was nothing about my background that you would make you think you know what you need is to go plant in a small town in the northeast but what was so sure was that it was Jesus who was calling us here. And so I think that that's so important for guys to hear stories like yours and even to hear the Lord's care for you and how he brought you there in the exact way that you would say yes to, you know, and then, and then moved you into shoes that he was going to equip you for in his timing. And I, I didn't uh, think to plant in a small town because I was made for rural. And so I hope guys that, might be listening to this that aren't from a small place that think like, I don't, why am I even listening to a small town summit podcast in the first place? What's could be that the Lord may be calling you to see the legitimacy and be a part of ministering to people in small and rural areas. Uh, even if it's not part of your background, which is something that you and I have in common. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So you mentioned this with the sort of minor admissions and that kind of uh, being part of the passions that the Lord's given you. It's one of the things that I hear about you the most. Um, you and I haven't even met in person, but I've heard your name over and over again. And the way that I hear your name is this dude is getting after it in his place in Dexter. He's, they're doing all kinds of outreach in their community um, and really showing people the gospel in word and in deed. And your town is three to 4,000 people. So. Yeah, I think 3,800. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So what does that look like in Dexter, Maine, to be involved in the community in Jesus's name? Yeah, I think it's really a bit of an organic movement. I didn't come up here with a plan of how to do things. And so I spent a few years really getting to know, this is where my missions background comes in play, where I, I came in just studying the history, getting to know what was here. Why is it different now? Why are things run down? Why did industry leave? You know, why are there so many people that are hurting? What is going on? And and learn the history of the church as well. You know, this church has been here, the building's been here since 1839. It was established in 1825. And what kind of history is, is here as well? What the church used to do and what's what the cultural context of this church and what are the negatives this church has had in the community where people, because there are also many generations here, they might still think of our church of something that happened back in 1960. <laughs> right. We need to break those chains. And so instead of going out and intentionally looking, I always use the comparison of a used car salesman, right? Where a used car salesman, you know what they want to do. They want to sell you a car and they want to manipulate you in any way, shape or form <laughs> to get you to get that. So you know what their agenda is. And what I didn't want to do was to go out to the community and really sell an agenda. 
I didn't want to, I want to kind of break that mold. And so I just got to know people. So one of the first things I did was substitute at the local schools and show them, like, I see you have this need here for substitutes. Let me fulfill that need. I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do and I'll jump in and, and help. And so that kind of be, began to build a, a rapport uh, with them. But as I got to do that, I got to know kids and, went, and started a youth group here. I got to know kids and I really got to see the hurting families, the broken families. And just, you know, it's, it's not a high crime area as far as neighbor against neighbor, but it is in domestic violence. And so seeing that and digging underneath in such a beautiful place to have such ugly atrocities, ugly sin, I thought, my goodness, they need to not just hear what Christ did for them, because, you know, the church has been established for so long. They need to see what that means. What is that? What does that look like? You know, when we go to your door, you need something. Okay, what do you need? How can we fulfill that? Or how can I connect you with somebody that can help you meet that need? And so all that takes time, though. And so I started connecting with different organizations, whether they be Christian or secular, and just saying, what are you doing to help this, these needs? And in doing that, uh, people really started seeing, okay, here's a pastor that not just came to town and is going to be here for a couple of years and get up and go to the next big and better thing, but is really investing. Um, and again, this isn't like some magic formula. This is just how it worked out for me right. in, in this, in this way. And as that happened, the, these uh, side effects started happening of, hey, we really trust this guy. Let's go to him. And eventually my wife said, I didn't think of this. My wife said, you know, you're the town pastor. I said, what do you mean I'm the town pastor? She says, anything happens, they come to you. If somebody dies, if, if a tragedy happens and they need you to, to speak somewhere, they come to you. We have like six other churches in town and it doesn't, and I never thought of that. I just thought, well, I know these people, <laughs> you know, right. that's just, they, they know me. So that's, that's where, that's where it is. And so then I more thought of like, you're, you're right. Cause even the students started calling me. I had a student, a former student call me from the high school cause it was a kid that was homeless. And she said, I didn't know who else to call but I, I thought of you. I thought if anybody in town could help this kid, it's, it's Andrew. It's just call Mr. Bermudez. He, he could help. And so I just thought, wow, what, it, what, what did I do to make her think that? And it was just showing them that you care. Like, I didn't have to go out and advertise, hey, we have this, we have this program here, we have this. But it's just giving them tangible uh, actions that, that show them that, hey, you really do care about them. And I really want to help. And doing that over years and years. And people see that, I believe. But I do, I do have that passion, and I, I don't think that there's any way you can really minister in any context, whether it be a city or a small town, but especially a small town, without getting intimately involved in all the messy stuff of the town. And yeah, you could build a church out in the cornfield, a big one, and attract a lot of people there, but are you really having an impact? Mm-hmm on the people that God loves, on those that are downtrodden, those that are really hurting? Or do you just want to keep the neat looking and nice looking people to have that nice facade in, in, your, in your building? Because it is messy and it is tough and you feel like you're getting used at times. But man, 
when you get that person that understands they come to know Christ and you get the one that sees love, he sees, sees Jesus' love working through you, it is worth it. And there's no amount of tithe or anything that can buy that, that, uh, that feeling or that seeing that happen. And, uh, and so that, that continues to drive me. It's awesome, man, because we know the Lord said to the extent that you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it to me. And how can you love or say that you love God who you can't see if you don't love your brother who you can. Yeah. You're creating all these bridges for people that have one conception of who the church is or who God is and trying to obliterate those misconceptions and create bridges for the gospel. Uh, I think one challenge for pastors is maybe they had those passions or those connections. I know for a guy coming in and planting a church, you know, he's super passionate about being the missionary himself and creating those relationships and sharing the gospel with people. And then a church forms, or in your case, you have a, a flock to shepherd. So two questions, I'll give them to you both up front and then you can answer them um, separately. But how do you balance the tension of serving in your town as a missionary and shepherding a flock? Cause that's, they don't, they shouldn't be in tension, but a lot of times they, they feel like they are. And then the second question is, how do you mobilize them to where this is the heart of FBC Dexter and not just your heart? So uh, first, how do you balance that, the, the shepherding, the flock? And then how do you mobilize them to the same passions? Yeah, I, and thanks for asking both of those questions, because I think they kind of go hand in hand. The church here, the, the body of the people that come are really lenient with my time. And they know my passion. So I think them understanding that passion, they allow me to do those things. But at the same time, it can, it can easily become your main thing. And you kind of forget to disciple the people that God has um, placed under, under your charge. And so one of the pieces that I see is getting them involved. And, I, you, and I, that's what two questions can talk about, talk about that, ten, that tension. But there's, there's a, a lady here who's kind of a retired teacher. She retired as a teacher, but she kind of goes back to the school. So that was stuff there. And a couple of months back, she said to me, you know, Andrew, I'm really glad you asked me to do certain things because you have made me do things that I am not comfortable with at all. And I had no idea <laughs> that, I was, that I was asking her to do things that she wasn't comfortable. She kept saying yes, and she was really good at them. And I said, oh, that was never my intention, but I'm glad. And so it's growing her in that she's being discipled in twofold. Like we, oftentimes we, we think of discipleship of just sitting down and teaching somebody something, but we very seldom, at least they don't teach you this in Bible college seminary to really give them the tangible way to carry it out, right? Mm -hmm. We say, teach it, now go do it in the way, in the best way you see fit. When in reality, you know, discipleship is more like an apprenticeship where you should be, they should be working right alongside you and doing the ministry with you to see what that's, what that's is like as yeah, so they hopefully develop a passion. And so, so there, there's individuals that have been stretched beyond their border. And as the more people in the congregation that they get out there and do the same work or help you in that work, the tension becomes less because they understand what you're doing. 
and they see the value to it and you're not, you no longer have to sell it. Then they start coming, Hey, what can I do to help you with this? I really want to be part of this. And so it's, it's, it's not so much a either, or it's how do we get these two together? How do we merge our Sunday morning, Sunday school class in discipleship with what's happening with what we're doing in the community. And I think you just in that area, you really need to be intentional with presenting them the opportunity and ask them, hey, can you do this? Some people, some people say, no, that's fine. But just going out to them say, hey, can you, can you really do this? Can you, I think you're gifted in this area. And I think God can use his gift because I need help here. And I think God put you in this church because I think you can help with it, with this area right now. And so that becomes a good launching point for that person because now God's using them in ways maybe they never thought like this, this, this lady who's just said to me, I never would have done this if I knew what you were, what you were asking for, but she goes, but I love it. I'm so glad you did ask me. And then there's other people that are, that are grabbing onto that same idea as well. And this isn't an overnight thing though. This is just you uh, daily showing what you're doing preaching in front of the pulpit and, and teaching it in, in Sunday school or whatever the uh, discipleship means you have, and then giving them those, those opportunities. And that's kind of how it's uh, grown in that, uh, in that area. And again, it wasn't really uh, an intention. It's just something that overflows out of you because it's, it's, if it's something you're passionate about, people know it. And, and especially if you're in charge of discipling, then that it becomes the the center of what you're teaching too and showing people um, how people can in the community can experience jesus in a tangible way yeah that's awesome man so we it's beautiful because it's part of equipping people for the work of ministry to help them look beyond just the borders of their family and the church to being soul winners and to serving people that are right in front of them um You've done a couple of different things. I love your wisdom that what has worked for you is not necessarily a formula for what will work for other people. We have to be dependent on God's spirit and really follow his leading. Some of the, th of the things that you've done, though, pretty unique. Um, you're a councilman. Is that the title that yeah. you're in the town? And <laughs> um, so you, you've done things like to be involved even at a, a local level. Um, and then your church has done some neat things. So what are some of the things that you've done or that the Lord's led you to that you would say, gosh, pastors and church leaders should really pray about some of these things because they've been effective for us. Mm. Just some like practical handles for people listening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I start because I, I said I, I substitute teach um, both at the elementary and at the high school. Uh, I am the high school varsity boys soccer coach. Uh or if it's not in a high school level, helping out at the rec level as well. You, you get to know the kids, you get to know the family, through the parents, it's a really good way. Instead of inviting people to the church, you go meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And then the, the local, the local the, for the running for the council, that was a really interesting piece because that was something, again, I didn't pursue, but people pursued me and said, can you, I think it'd be really good to run for council. And so I laid out a fleece before God. I said, okay, God, I want you to guide me here and I'm going to put my name in. And if I'm not going to be it, then I want to lose just, and, but if I'm, going, if I'm going to win, I want to win and win by a lot and be the top candidate. And 
it was three positions open, nine people ran. It was like the most contested council um, running. Usually there's like two positions open and two people run, you know? <laughs> so they yeah. just get in. This one, there's three and nine people run. And I thought, okay, you know, God, I want to see what's happened. And the local businessmen actually end up sponsoring me and paying for banners and all that. And I did, I got the top spot and I, my total vote was more than the two below me. I said, all right, God, I know you want me here. And it's been really, really interesting because it's, it's obviously kind of, it's, even though it's not necessarily political, there was a lot of political aspects to it. And what was really neat was during the running, uh, there were some people like, oh, you know, was he kind of bring the uh, judgmental Christianity to, to, the, to the town council? <laughs> and, and people were sending my wife texts of screenshots of, you know, Facebook posts of that such. What was really neat though, I, I didn't say anything, I don't get involved in that, was people who aren't believers defending me mm. and saying, no, he's a good guy. You, you don't know what he's done in the town, you know, then you need to open your eyes, basically, that kind of thing. And I thought, wow, that's, God, you're awesome. What an awesome testimony. We're like, you know, I'm not trying to build my name, I'm trying to build yours. And in that, People are seeing these things that are happening, and it's a good witness to you. They're seeing it. People that I have in there, I, I recognize their name, but I haven't even met them officially, but there's, they know me through these things. And so I think just going out there and getting involved in a community through any aspect, any avenue you have the opportunity, and even serving on the school board or serving along a, a, where volunteers might need help, I think those are really good. I think the, the, the traditional things of, you know, putting a float in the parade, oh, that's, that's okay. But anything where you're advertising like your church, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of used car salesman that you're trying to attract people to a building. While if you get involved just as a community member, not as a pastor, but as a community member, as an equal with them, and you want to love them, but you're still sharing Christ, they see that way more tangible than any other thing you can do. And I, I think how what that looks like is gonna be different in each community, but that I think is the bottom line. Like just show up as a person that loves Christ and loves the community and they will see that. They will see Christ's life shine through that. And that's just a powerful example, Andrew, of what, uh, and is encouraging to me, one of the qualifications for elders is to be well thought of by outsiders. And it doesn't mean that the world's going to love you or love your beliefs but they shouldn't be turned away by who you are and yeah. you have given them a, a solid witness and example by your love to uh reconsider what they thought about jesus in the first place and to have them defend you and i think the other thing is just the example that you've been to the flock because if that bermuda's love and example gets multiplied in the people that you're pastoring then you've got a an army of people that are loving their neighbors and serving them and, and shining a light in Dexter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for that, man. One sort of final word, if you could give general encouragement or exhortation or kind of a, a blessing over people listening or serving Jesus in small towns, maybe they're growing weary in it, or maybe you've kind of given them some ideas throughout this conversation. What would you give them as encouragement in kind of a parting word? Yeah, I, I just would like to anybody listening that's 
that small town pastor had been there a long time or just you're just starting out, God sees you and God put you there for a reason. And don't be discouraged by what's happening in the church or what's happening in your town, but keep carrying out what God has called you to do. Know that you are his vessel. Know that he loves you and that he will use you the way he best sees fit. And I want to encourage you to, you daily yield your life to Christ and be willing to do the things that maybe no one else wants to do and to show Christ's love wherever you go so that no matter what, when you're dead and gone, people could say that person loved Jesus. That's powerful, man. And I think one thing that I'm getting from our conversation too, from your example is you may be in a season where the Lord has to give you a dream to say you're trapped in, or you may be in a season where you've got non-believers defending your name, but in all these things, Jesus is worthy. And what matters is that we're where he's placed us and your life and your ministry are proof that Jesus cares about Dexter and, uh, and cares about the people of your community. So thanks for your example, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks, friends, for taking the time to join us today. Our hope and prayer with each episode is that it is a blessing to you and that the Lord uses it to encourage you and equip you for the work that He's called you to. If you have feedback for us, ideas for future episodes, or ways that God is using this in your life, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at ben at rivertownchurch.org. If you want to find out more about Small Town Summits, to stay up to speed with events happening in the New England area, or to check out our articles, to partner with us in the ministry financially, you can go to smalltownsummits.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and establish the work of your hands and equip you in every way to do His will.